In Session with Dr. Farid Hulakwi. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Hulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. Let's go to a caller now. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Good afternoon, Doctor. Good afternoon. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Uh, so I was going to ask about my education. So uh, got here in U.S. about like five years ago. And since I got here, uh, I started going to college. Uh, it took about almost a year. I become eligible and then... I have to actually submit my high school diploma to them. Mm-hmm. Just took a while. And so how? I just so I, and how for, old are you? Just so I get an idea of when that was. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thirty-six. Thirty-six. Okay. So you came to the U.S. when you were around thirty-one. Yes. Okay. And had you you said completed high school, but had you done any college before that? Well, high school overseas. Uh huh. Okay. Here yeah. But I mean, any college, even overseas, anywhere else? Yeah, lecture. I've got a. Um, Bachelor of Lecture, okay. Lecture, which doesn't work here. I see. Okay. So you had to kind of so, start um, from scratch, college-wise. Got it. You had to start from the beginning here, from for college. Exactly. Okay. So then I registered for nursing actually, and then as soon as COVID hit the world, I actually. So first of all, schools were uh, shutting down, and the classes became online. I was mm-hmm. not really uh, comfortable with online classes. I think I went for, I think, one or two semester and then COVID start, and then my major was nursing. So that's why I actually stopped uh, studying for nursing because I said, I don't want to go in hospital based on what's going on in the world right now. So I changed my major to uh, programming, computer science. That was my actually uh, second plan. And I always liked it. So, and then I just uh, passed a few courses and I think two semester and then I said, uh, I thought I don't like it. So then again, I changed it to IT, uh, which is kind of uh, the same feeling computer science, but that's a different between uh, IT and uh, programming. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not bad. I've been doing IT. I'm not. Uh, I graduate yet, but uh, kind of my question is I can't focus as good as the other dogs, like other people. I'm not sure why I cannot focus on my studying. It took too long for me, and I still haven't graduated. When, so when you say focused, you mean like being able to concentrate while you're studying, or, or do you mean an yes. up? Okay. So the thing with uh, focus or concentration, uh, of course, for most people, when we think of having an issue with concentration, the first disorder or issue that comes up is ADHD, uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. That's the one we most commonly and most people will think about. 
Um, however, lots of uh, different issues can affect our ability to focus and concentrate, including very commonly anxiety or depression. And I see often anxiety being the reason people have a hard time focusing or getting their work done, uh, and that, but they quickly jump to ADHD because we ass assume it's a problem with attention if we're having a hard time keeping our attention on something. So uh, those are just some thoughts. I I'm wondering now, has this been an issue for you your whole life? Because usually when we look at ADHD, it's showing up in early childhood. It's not something that just shows up. Sometimes people discover it in adulthood, but then they realize there were signs all along. So has it been something you've always had a challenge with? Mm, could you please a little bit more? I'm not really uh, familiar with the word ADHD. Okay, so ADHD is a mental disorder that as I said, the A, so it's attention, and then, you know, it used to also be called ADD, attention deficit disorder. Then in the official diagnosis, they added the hyperactivity, the ADHD, that's the H, but you don't actually have to have hyperactivity to be diagnosed with ADHD. So, um, but it's essentially having a very hard time keeping your focus or attention on things. And as I mentioned with ADHD, you are, will almost always see signs from early childhood, uh, you know, so students who have a hard time even when they were five, six years old, and their teachers noticed that they were having a hard time uh, focusing or staying on task. So, um, and so first tell me that, is that something that you've dealt with for all or most of your life? Actually, when it comes to study, because my other things when I work, People like it, and I've been really success at work. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been just uh, solving any issues, but especially for studying, yes, I remember since you mentioned that, I remember I've uh, been told by teachers, why are you, especially the math uh, teachers, why are you not paying attention? Just pay attention, read the question. You're not reading the question. That I've been always being told, I remember that by the teachers. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, but you were saying when you've worked, you've been able to pay attention and stay on task? Yeah, at the work, I'm like, great, that's what they said. Okay, and, and so it's possible sometimes people who have ADHD, they, um, you know, like for example, I work with families and they'll say, you know, I, I don't think my kid has ADHD because they'll play 10 hours of video games straight. And actually sometimes people with ADHD when they're, engaged with something and they really like it, they could get hyper-focused and, and stay uh, focused on one thing almost obsessively for a long time. So it doesn't mean you're going to have attention issues with every single thing you do, but that you have more more challenges than most people would have when it comes to staying on task. The fact that you're saying at work you're able to focus, that makes it, it's still possible, but it could be that there's something else going on. That's why I was wondering something like, uh, anxiety or feeling um, uncertain about the work you're doing or not sure if you're doing a good job, that can also impact these things, especially uh, I could imagine coming to the United States, there's been challenges. You're speaking English quite fine to me, but still it's not going to be your first language. That's going to make schoolwork a bit harder and challenging. So do you think there, when you think of it yourself, is it something more of there's an anxiety or a worry or you're not sure if you're doing the work right or it's just hard for you to stay focused or on task? 
just the heart to stay focused on tax about anxiety you mentioned mm -hmm. no 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 anxiety at all um i have a self-confidence based on what the people said i'm so relaxed and uh, if anyone has anxiety usually even though at work they can't talk to me they mm -hmm. get called okay. I, i actually i was born in shiraz <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm not. Um, I was born in the United States, and my actually, my father's from Shiraz. But I know there's a, a stereotype that people from Shiraz are, are kind of lazy. Now, I don't know if it's actually true, but <laughs> so I don't know if that plays any part in what you're dealing with. But you're saying overall, you're you're pretty relaxed, and you don't think you have anxiety or that that would be an issue for you. Yeah, no, no, no. People okay. call me you most of the time. You are at the park. Okay, it's like you park. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Very relaxed. Very okay. So yeah, I mean, you know, there could be a, an attention type of issue that's there. Have you ever seen or talked to a doctor about any of this? The the issues with focusing. No, this is first time in my life. Oh really? Okay. So tell me, what is it like? Let's say, are you studying? Uh, you know, tell me, give me an experience of when you have a hard time focusing. What happens? Looks like I can't sit on the chair when I'm just looking at the. The, the monitor, the laptop, and then, you know, things else come in my mind. Like, for example, I was doing a task last semester, and then there was something going on. I have a project. I've had a project in the house. I was going to do that project. was going to just make a quick a little fence in the backyard. So it became lazy, and then it took three months. As soon as I just sat on the chair and then was going to do my task, I left it and I went and I made that gate. At least I made half of it. Yeah. I've been challenging to make that gate three months because it wasn't an easy job. But I didn't want it to do that task. That thing made me to do that gate and I left it back. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's not clear if that would indicate something like anxiety or ADHD, but something that when people are anxious about the work they're doing, you know, there's a lot of jokes and stories about this because so many people experience it that, you know, they have to study and all of a sudden they get this urge to clean their house, you know, and they normally yeah. don't clean, but all of a sudden they start cleaning the house. And, and there could be a few things. One, it's a type of, we can call it productive procrastination. So we we're procrastinating, but we feel like we're doing something good. But another thing with uh, tasks like cleaning or fixing something, if we're feeling anxious about the work we're doing, it could feel like we're getting some control over something else by cleaning or making something. So sometimes people will distract themselves unconsciously. They see, find themselves wanting to do some other task. And it could be in a sense of getting some order in their external world because they're feeling some disorder or anxiety internally. So I know you're saying you're very relaxed and very calm, and that definitely could be the case. But that what you described could have some elements of anxiety that you're about to do some work and the work itself can make us a bit anxious. Do I know what I'm doing? Am I going to do a good job? What is my grade going to be? Those types of anxieties can come up and people find themselves drawn to distract in a variety of ways. So what do you think of that type of description that could there be an, you know, I know you're saying in general, you're not anxious, but when you're getting the work done, are you very comfortable with the work? Is it easy for you or do you find yourself at times having a challenge with it that might make it easier to distract yourself than stay focused. You mean at work, right? Any type of work? I mean any kind of work, but especially when you're saying schoolwork, wherever you find the difficulties uh, paying attention. Uh, well, the thing is, 
I know it's going to make me a bright future. I always tell myself when I get the degree, it's going to be lots of new um, um, windows in my life. It opens a lot of doors. I keep telling that to myself uh, to kind of get me more focused and get this thing done and get the degree and go. And I like what I'm doing, the computer thing stuff. I like it. I like to be even uh, thinking if I want to be, once I graduated, I'm going to start working from home. I don't mind because I love being at home. I love where I live. Uh, I keep telling myself this thing to just help me more to get more focused on the test and everything. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as soon as I sit on that chair, it looks like kind of looking for things else. You know, I don't mind sitting jobs. I really don't mind. But um, um, really, and the other thing is maybe help out at this case. So, for example, if I have 10 hours all day mm-hmm. to be somewhere like it's morning, I'm supposed to be in the wedding, in at work or whatever, at 5 p.m. So I've got eight hours. I will be late. But if I have like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, I will be on time. Mm-hmm. I don't know what is wrong with me. <laughs> Why I think I have a lot of hours. Okay, I've got a time. And I definitely will be late. But if yeah. I have 30 minutes, I'll make it. Yeah. Well, and, and some of that, it could be signs of um, ADHD. But in general, many people have that experience too. Because if you don't have time to do anything else, then you won't do anything else. But when we feel like we have all day to do something, then we can mismanage the time or or deal with it differently so uh, what i'm hearing from you there are many parts of it that it could be adhd and uh, what i want to do is we're getting to a commercial break and i want us to just talk a bit more about what your experience is because as i said the way you're describing it it could be adhd but there could be some anxiety about the work that you're doing so about when i say work i mean your school work so after the break i want you to tell me a bit about how your grades are, how things are going with school, uh, just to see if there's something going on there. And also I'll give you some recommendations of what you could possibly do to get a better sense of what you're going through, okay? Sure. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we were with the caller. Let's go back to them now. Caller, are you still there? Yes, sir. Okay. So as I was saying before the break, wanted to know a bit about how have you been doing in school as far as grades how challenging has the work been for you so about the school before that let me just uh, tell you uh, um, when i got here in u.s i went to the class about like esl english as a second language mm-hmm. about eight months that helped me out a lot that place was the only place i was kind of nervous and anxiety in that school though that was just a learning uh, plus. I've been working in a, uh, you know, in an American place all the time since past five years, and then that helped me a lot for learning the language. The only uh-huh. place I was kind of nervous was at that eight month. I mean, first four months of that eight month. So, and then after that, I really didn't have big issue with the speaking. Because uh, I tried to not speak in Farsi about, it took two years for me. I didn't speak at all. Someone told me, just forget Farsi. Unless Sundays, talking to mommy, you know, mm-hmm. through a video call. Uh, so 
I was okay with the speaking and of course when I got in school different words and you know different type of language I'm not nervous about that I'm okay the only thing make me nervous since you mentioned that I think uh, I had challenging since two years ago with the school with the with the with the tuition actually uh-huh. so like this semester uh, I'm, I didn't take any credit uh, so I live in I don't know what the other states here is very very expensive and then the other thing happened actually uh, two years ago I was able to uh, actually um, get approved for a loan and I bought a house someone told me it was a gentleman uh, who used to be my roommate with his wife he's in LA right now but he used to live here he told me invest on yourself you can buy a house all the time. First buyer, whatever. Invest on yourself. If you buy the house, then you have to work and put the money in the house. Like mm-hmm. mortgage, lots of things coming when you buy a house. And same thing happened. Since two years ago, since two years I purchased a house, maybe four credits every semester or whatever. And then I don't want to take a loan for the school and stuff. And I was not eligible for the grant since I uh, make more than what is supposed to. So I think the only kind of challenge I have that is the school tuition. Mm-hmm. That sometimes it makes me so uh, you know angry why like I cannot like take more credit yeah. or uh, not credit at all sometimes because like especially exactly what he said happened. Since I bought the house, I became poor and poor and poor. Mm-hmm. Like month ago, I replaced the AC, like eleven thousand. So now I have these things came because of the house didn't let me to. Go. This is the only thing I can think of yeah. that made me kind of. That's it. Well, that and and you adding those those details, of course, gives me a better picture of what you've gone through. So it's not like you're failing classes or um you know that's the reason why it's taking a bit longer uh, you know you're saying financially there's limitations so that you can't take as many courses but when you take a class you're you're doing okay how are you doing in the classes you do take yes even i'm doing the online classes that i can work so mm-hmm. i've got a side job my side job is a coach bus driver i got my commercial to can be help out with the uh school tuition so when i am parked the Vehicle, I drop off the passengers. It's as a side job on weekends. So yeah. I have my tablet. I even study while I'm at work. Like, no problem at all studying, but yeah. as long as I can pick more curvy. Okay. I'll get there for sure. Sure. But I know it's going to be taking a little more yeah. time. Well, it seems like you're, me. yeah, it, you'll get there. Um, and I'm glad you know that and you believe in yourself. And I'm still trying, you know, when you say that you're you're able to study even when other things are going on or, you know, even at work, it seems like you're you're able to get your work done or stay focused in certain settings. So is it just at home you have a hard time? Where When is it then that these this comes up that you're having a hard time focusing? Oh, sometimes at home. Okay. Like, I expected to do better for myself. I know sometimes I'm just looking for excuses to you know, not gonna do the task on time. I will do it, but not on time. Like uh, your dad said, do it and done. You have three more days, just leave it. 
but don't let it to be at the last minute. I'm that guy. Yeah. Well, and, and it, you know, this is another one of those things where almost everyone I know and myself included would at times procrastinate when it came to, to schoolwork. And so, but also people who have ADHD do it more than, than other people do. So what I would recommend for you to do is uh, to look up online. I, I gave you some of the symptoms or some signs of ADHD, and we can even talk a bit more about them. But really, I would want you to, to read about it yourself online. And then if you feel like it matches you, then to go first, you can even if you have a primary doctor, medical doctor, just meet with them and bring it up. But then see if you can get a, a referral or recommendation for a psychiatrist or a psychologist that can do testing for ADHD, if you feel like that does in fact describe you. And then with their testing, and then if you get a diagnosis, possibly you can get treatment, which might include medication, but it doesn't have to include medication that might help you. I'm still not convinced because the way you describe it, I know, you, you know, overall, you're a calm person. You said other than your experience in that ESL class, which I can understand, obviously, you're in a foreign language class, you feel um, you know, there could be an anxiety just not knowing it or not knowing it well, which can feel challenging. But there's a way you describe what you go through that I can't tell if it's th there's some anxiety there of getting the work done or really if it's just ADHD, because in other situations, you seem OK getting your work done. So uh, it's going to be hard for me to tell you just from our questions specifically and someone who's going to give you a clear diagnosis will probably even spend some if they do testing some hours with you to make sure that is what you in fact have because also what yeah, you're sure. you know because also what you're telling me is that part of what is making your schooling take a long time is not because you're having a hard time with classes it's just that financially you're having a hard time with the tuition or else you maybe would have graduated already oh yeah this estate is so poor and it's hard it doesn't give you ground actually so just since you brought it up quick question there is a friend of mine who lives in Boston. Okay. He's in um, cybersecurity major. Uh -huh. Major. He started about like six months ago. He told me if you come over and stay six months, then all your school tuition gonna be free as long as you are staying six months in this state. Not a choice. Oh, okay. I don't know about that. I mean, you could take his. I wouldn't just take his word. Look into it to see. Um, and I know there's different programs where there's student loan forgiveness or their you know tuition is paid in certain places. I know you said it wasn't a student loan, but I don't know about that. So ask him and look into it some more because obviously that would be a big move. Um, it would be great if that was the case because you're saying the tuition is your biggest challenge. I, I'm not familiar with that law or that well, rule. If it's, if it's such a thing, if, if it's true, the guy is great, though. He's a... He, he used to be a teacher in, uh, overseas. He knows French, English. He, he is a, someone who you can rely on what he's really saying. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, is that okay? Can I run out the house and go over there to stay in six months and then get done the school thing? Well, I don't, are, you, are you asking me for permission? Because <laughs> to me, if, yeah. if, if you think it's a good idea, <laughs> if you're okay moving there and going to school there, I don't see any reason why not. Well, when, even you're asking me for permission, so what makes you not want to do it something must be making you nervous about going there uh 
just wanted to make sure because I can't believe it. The school is free in America. I can't believe that. Yeah. That's what I was going to make sure. <laughs> yeah, that's why I, I'm trying to make sure, too. You know, I, I'm born and raised in America, and telling me that college is free sounds like a surprise. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> we're a little bit backwards here where, you know, pe- students go into debt that they pay the rest of their lives. So that's why I'm not saying this guy is not reliable. It's that I'd want you to check just to make sure it's as simple as he's making it sound that if you just live there for six months, it's free. Maybe it's a certain program, maybe a certain income level. There probably are certain restrictions or, or rules to it. So really look into that before you, you know, move across the country. And if it's the case, then that'd be great. You know, get done with your schooling as soon as possible to then be able to work. And as you self, yourself, you were saying, I know you know it's going to be good for you and for your future and to get started on that sooner. So, yeah, I would look into it. I myself definitely have not heard of this. Uh, doesn't mean it's not true, but I don't know of this program that you're talking about. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, uh, b- based on what you said, is there any type of brain test you want to go do that? It's always, uh, Doctor Farhang recommend to people. Well, there's some, there are some types of brain tests. I don't know. That's not as common. And brain tests usually, your insurance is not good unless you have something like, let's say, a CT scan or something for a brain injury. But this type of a brain test for ADHD is not as common. And so if you want to go find someone like there's like the Amen Clinic, who I don't actually know where their clinics are, uh, but they do brain scans, for example, I think they make you pay out of pocket and it's pretty expensive and it's not necessarily a necessary way. I would encourage you to first talk to just your regular doctor to let them know this is what you think you're dealing with. As I said, first, I would want you to even look online because I want you to read about it. Maybe you'll see it doesn't really resonate. I think you will see that some of the symptoms, at least from what you described to me, definitely are some of the symptoms. As I said, it's ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So I, I write you, it down. Yeah. ADHD, as soon as I Google it, it if you Google ADHD, it'll come up. And yeah, you know, you can look up adult ADHD because sometimes they'll put some types of different symptoms for them. But um, and like I said, there's an inattentive type and a hyperactive type or impulsivity hyperactive type. So look those up and see if they resonate for you. Uh, like I said, I also feel like there's some anxiety, some other things there. I'm a big fan of people going to therapy. So if you've never been to therapy, something to consider is to go and you'll just understand yourself better over time. But you can get some testing done if you really feel like ADHD and what you're reading resonates with you and you're like, this describes me. Uh, And some of the treatments include, most of the treatments include medication. And that's something that if you go see a doctor, they'll talk to you about that. And, you know, you have to look at those... um, the, you know, the, the side effects and the benefits of that and see if it it makes sense for you. And if it does, then you, you might go ahead with that treatment. But that, that's what I would recommend to you is first look it up, see if it resonates with you, if you feel like you relate to that. If you do, then talk to a doctor and likely you'll have to see either a psychiatrist, they can prescribe medication or a psychologist who can do testing and diagnosis. And then from there, you'll you'll make a decision of if you have it, then you might do some kind of treatment and you can make a decision of what type of treatment to get from from that point. Got it. Thank you so much. Just pretty quick about the moving, I said, sure. because my goal is being in L.A. Uh-huh. over there uh, based on some factors I got over here. It's better for us to start from, you know, the little state. So after that, 
uh, I don't mind moving at all because my goal is being in LA. I've been there in Southern California twice so far, Santa Monica, Mountain Beach, and over there. It's beautiful, nice and great. Mm -hmm. So that would be my next moving, actually. Okay. Like if I go to Massachusetts, after that I go over there, I don't mind because I get a move anyways. Eventually. Okay. Well, if you're going to go to Massachusetts, I hope you can wait a few months. It's probably freezing right now and very cold there. Uh, but I would really look into what you're saying and also make sure you look into sometimes it's also that you might have to stay afterwards or you might have, you know, some requirements. It, it, it sounds, you know, when some, we hear something sounds too good to be true, we want to be careful that it's not uh, too good to be true. So look into all of those before uh, you go for it. If that's the case and it can make it easier for you financially, then yeah, I can understand. And you also have that friend there who would be good for you to be around from what you're describing. So that's not bad. You won't be alone. Um, doesn't seem like a bad option. I just want to make sure it's as good as what your friend is telling you and you make sure no, no, it's the I right thing. No, I what you're saying. Because yeah. my education, my goal is education here yeah. in the U.S. Otherwise, I don't need to be. That's my goal. So I got to reach out. Okay. Well, best of luck. If when, when you reach it, feel free to call back anytime and let us know how you're doing. Yeah, definitely. If I get there, I will let you know definitely for the free education. We're going to probably inform everyone. Come <laughs> yeah. Over, stay here six months and then go for it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm wondering if we're going to have a lot of people moving to Massachusetts. I really don't know if it's <laughs> it's true because I haven't heard that before. But again, I don't know lots of things. So I'll definitely inform yeah. you. If it was true, probably we're going to make it one of the most uh, uh, busiest Iranian communities. Yeah, yeah, it could be happening. Yeah, we'll see. You you let us know, but it was nice talking. You wish you all the best. Sure. Thank you so much. All you right. too. Have a good one. Thanks. Take care. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Thanks for calling. Uh, hi. Um, I work as a substitute teacher mm-hmm. at elementary school. Um, some kids are really restless in the class and don't let anyone to focus and study. And my question is, what is the best solution to deal with these kids? <sighs> Should we separate them from the other students? Or what is the healthy way yeah. to treat these kind of kids? Well, yeah, I'll ask you more about, uh, you know, restless can mean lots of things um, and get some more information on what you're dealing with. Also, I know you said elementary, that that could be a pretty big range of of students. One thing I just have to say to start is that being a substitute teacher, we talk about a teacher being a difficult job, which it is. A substitute teacher is a very difficult job because you're coming into a class where you're not the main teacher. We know students in general. I mean, I remember being a kid too, and when a substitute comes, kids think, okay, this is my day to get away with things. Let's see if we can trick the teacher into thinking this is the rule of the class or this is going on. And it could be a very challenging place to find yourself in. You know, students that normally don't even act out might act out more when there's a substitute there. And the ones that do act out might think, okay, this is my time to, to do even more. Or, you know, if I'm the class clown to, to shine and really get even more attention. So you are in a tough spot when you um, are a substitute. And I don't know if most of the time it's like a one day thing. Sometimes maybe it's longer, but if it's one day, different times, different classes, it's difficult for you, of course, to have any kind of rules of your own or boundaries with them because you're just starting. You can have your general respect types of 
boundaries, but you don't have a precedent or a culture that you create with them. So it's it's a tough spot to, to try to um, keep them all in check and all in line. And that might be one thing to keep in mind is that this is something almost all substitute teachers go through is the challenge of the kids not wanting to pay as much attention as they even normally do, even that that might be hard for them. So I'm sure you, you have experienced it firsthand, so I'm not telling you anything you don't know, um, but it is a, a tough place to find yourself in. Now, when you say restless, tell me what kind of things you're talking about. Uh, well, actually, uh, I, both, uh, I, I experienced uh, both positions. Like, I work uh, for a teacher uh, who is sick now, mm-hmm. and I'm not wondering because many teachers are burned out. Yeah. Um, and uh, grade three, uh, the third grade, mm-hmm. uh, I'm working, and it's my fifth month. Now it's better because I found I have found my position in the class. So sorry, but just to be clear, fifth month, fifth month with the same class. Uh, fifth month with the same class, oh, and wow. also, okay. and also uh, when um, the teachers of other, because there are two uh, people in the class as a teacher, mm-hmm. as teachers. And uh, and when, like the, for example, uh, in grade f- fifth, when the teacher is absent, one of us go there and want to take care of the class. Mm-hmm. But uh, the main thing I have understood is that um, these kind of restless kids are everywhere in many classes. They all the time talk. They cannot sit still. Um, they maybe you need to. Uh, tell them to be quiet a hundred times yeah. and it just like you lose the time focus and uh, it's also uh, encouraging for other kids to start talking mm-hmm. walking and do whatever they want to do and um, that's why I, I was thinking myself I was thinking maybe these uh, kind of kids uh, the worst ones they can be separated from the others and sit in a different place and study, I mean, uh, lonely. Not lonely, with, of course, a teacher uh, should be uh, supervising them, but um, I don't know. Uh, the health way I'm, I ask, I mean, um, because, because it's very important to work with kids, mm-hmm. what is the healthy way to deal with these kind of situations? Yeah, the, the thing is, you know, I wouldn't say there's going to be one healthy way in the sense that, you know, and that there's going to be a, a solution. So if you separate them now, you're going to have no problem. And to just separate them, you know, let's say tomorrow you go in and separate them, probably is not the best thing because it could feel like you're just isolating them. There could be consequences. For example, if you talk out of turn or do certain things and then this is what happens and you make that very clear to them that there's these these rules and boundaries and consequences. Uh, one thing and, you know, you're someone, you're the experienced teacher here. I'll share some of my thoughts and, yeah, maybe some of my experience with, from a psychological standpoint. But you're the one that's dealing with the classroom setting and being in there. So uh, anything I suggest, it's coming from a place of you've maybe even tried these things before, but just some thoughts that come to my mind that I will share with you. As you said yourself, what's unfortunate is when a child acts out in class, they get usually what it is that they're looking for, which is attention. Now, it's not a positive attention, just like even kids will do with their parents at times when they want their attention. They might annoy them or bother them, but they 
do something that can't be ignored just so they don't get ignored, so they get attention. And so when students act out, um, they usually get the attention they want. So one thing, and it's a common uh, teaching practice, is to make sure you are acknowledging and emphasizing the students that are behaving or following the directions. Because usually what happens is the kids that are quietly doing the work, we don't say anything to them, but the kid that acts out gets our attention because we're trying to get them to be quiet. So it takes some being proactive or emphasizing something that we might not notice because it's it's quiet, but to make sure we are praising, rewarding children when they're doing the right things, not just giving them attention when they do the wrong things. So, you know, it's like, oh, I see Sarah is paying yes, this, good attention. This works for, uh, I think this works for normal kids, <laughs> but these type of kids that I'm talking to, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but I'm quite sure something is wrong there. There must be a diagnosis, even if they are not diagnosed yet, but this is not normal because mm-hmm. if I pay attention or don't pay attention, whatever, they are somewhere else. They cannot control themselves. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like compulsory behavior that they do. Yeah, you know, I taught the two, the three of you in one class can ruin the whole class. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, the previous caller was about ADHD, and and I think we actually overdiagnose <laughs> ADHD. What's that? <laughs> like talking about uh, talking of devil, speaking of devil, because I was listening to yeah. that too, and I was thinking, whoa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and and I think ADHD definitely gets overdiagnosed. That's something that we've noticed. That you know, a few things come to my mind about this. One is the system of school itself. This expectation that you know, even a six-year-old, maybe even yeah, let's say eight or ten-year-old, but especially seven, six-year-old is going to sit still for hours at a time, might not be a realistic or even a healthy expectation. So, the school setting itself that we have in most. Western society and here in the United States it is not something that's great for um, child development at some, you know, in some ways, and especially for all children. Some children can sit there, but many children can't, and they might not even have ADHD. There could be other things going on, and even to label it as a disorder might be the wrong way of approaching it. It's just that it probably isn't the right way for most kids to just experience their day or their life to sit still for many hours a day. But the problem is you're a teacher in a classroom where, as is the case for all the classrooms we have here, they're supposed to keep keep a type of order where all the kids need to be paying attention. And if they don't, as you were saying, it could ruin and really negatively impact the class for all the other students and for the teacher. And that's really difficult. And then on top of that, the teachers, uh, as you were saying, you mentioned burnout. There isn't enough resources and teachers have probably too many students in their class especially to give the type of specific attention different kids might need to function better. So, you know, the kids are a problem, but I would also say the system is more the problem than just the kids. You know, when you have 25 kids in a room that have different types of learning behaviors and ways of being and attention spans and abilities to sit still and all these things, and we're trying to keep them all on the same task in the same way, it really is very, very difficult. So um, I can get that the kids are, I'm sure, so frustrating to, you know, when they're acting out and doing these things. But, you know, as a, if it gives you any compassion for them, and I'm sure you do have a lot of compassion for the students, but realizing some of it is that 
it's just tough for them. You know, they're they're struggling because maybe it's more the system that's the problem. The kids are specifically a problem, you know. Um, that doesn't necessarily give you a solution because, as I said, I don't know if there is an easy solution. If you're saying these kids have a hard time focusing or staying, you know, in their seat, what do you do? There are ways of uh, giving them some space. Um, you know, I think separating them at times can be helpful, but, you know, I don't like the idea of totally isolating a child either, but we can see that might be beneficial for them if there's less distraction. So even it could be presented and done in a way where it's not a punishment, but actually it's facilitating their, their learning. Uh, you also mentioned other... Exactly, we do it at school. Uh, uh, I don't know about the USA, but uh, we in Sweden do mm. do that uh, because there are some special classes for special kids. Uh-huh. that We just send them there and they sit and study there for a while. Um, that's, one, okay. that's one of the things. But as you said, uh, we don't have so many resources. So those teachers who are working in those classes are also... Yeah. out. Uh, <laughs> there are many of the. I'm wondering how uh, there are many of these kind of kids uh, now. And uh, I remember my childhood in Iran. Um, it, uh, we we were all nec- almost quiet in the classroom. Of course, it was fear and yeah. uh, it was forced. But but now I I see a lot of kids with a lot of diagnoses and problems, and I don't know where it comes from. But anyway, in Sweden, they do that, they separate, but uh, as a teacher, you have no value. The 100% value is to the kid, for the kids. Yeah. So we need to be super careful and very kind, very gentle, very, I mean, it's too much. Hmm. I'm not saying the way that they were treated, uh, treating us in Iran was right. No, it was absolutely not right. But the way that they do here, I, I think it's the opposite. But uh, teachers are the victims, mm-hmm. I, I guess. Yeah. So, so in a I way, somewhere in between, yeah. I want to treat. Yeah. I mean, uh, yes. No, no, I'm sorry. Sure. I, I, I meant, didn't mean to cut you off there. Um, but yeah, and actually, I was. I, I think I agree with you. And I just, for some reason, assumed maybe it was because your English is good that you were in America, but uh, you're in Sweden, and it seems like you're saying there are some similarities. I. You know, my assumption was that the schooling system was better there. I know in Finland, in the same region of the world, not the same country, um, they say that yes, Finland is very good. Yeah, their education system is really admirable, and they do things very differently from U.S., which is so hyper-focused on tests and grades and these types of things. They almost go the opposite direction, and uh, they talk about how people from America go there to visit to see what do they do, but they just can't you know, they can't accept that it's going to be less testing and then these things, they they, they don't understand that paradigm. But from what you're describing, um, there's some similarities to what I've seen in the U.S. too. Yeah, you, you said it yourself that what you experienced in Iran, although there was more order, possibly, it was coming from more fear, not necessarily the children didn't have any issues or they were happily um, doing what they were doing. And that's not necessarily good. I have seen a movement in the United States, too, where I do think it's good for us to be more, um, you know, caring about, of course, the children, seeing them as whole people and their feelings and their experiences are very important. But many teachers have shared with me this feeling that, it, you know, it's all, it's all about the, the students now and the teachers are really 
forgotten. And what I was going to say is that unfortunately for you, when you were a student, it was all about the teachers and you had to just obey. And now you feel like exactly. as the teacher, you, you never you never got the chance to have the upper hand. You were always the one that was, um, you know, uh, giving the power to someone else. But I have heard that from m many teachers here in the United States, that same feeling of now they feel like they can't say anything or they're, they're losing a lot of the structure and the boundaries, which actually are good for kids. You know, we think of uh, consequences or rules as a punishment, but actually, no, they give a structure and a form that is good for a, a child, even in the home or in school, to have some sense of what the boundaries are. And of course, kids, especially teens, will always push against those boundaries. That will happen, but the boundaries still need to be there. Uh, but often teachers now will feel that if the students are breaking the boundary, the boundary might just disappear, or at least temporarily disappear, to make sure the kid is okay. And I'm with you that it's good that we move in this direction, but not so far. And I think we're still in that so, you know, it's going a little bit too far in that direction and we need to bring it back. I also think what's going to be needed is more resources. So if we had more teachers and less students per class, then we can give more of the individualized type of attention that actually would allow it to be about the kids and what they're feeling and what they're going through and who they are. But then the teachers wouldn't be overworked or have too much pressure on them because they would be able to to have less students you know it would be more manageable but we're not there yet so i think in a way we're going in the right direction but we don't have the resources yet or haven't put the resources i should say towards making sure the teachers are okay the staff is okay which will benefit the students in the long run too but right now we're not there so you're in a tough spot to how do i control these kids when they're being difficult to control you know or how do i make it so they don't distract the other children. When you're working with other uh, teachers, as you said, I don't know exactly how it rotates. It reminds me of, you know, parents that the more they're on the same page, the better. So when we're making these rules or boundaries or consequences, we all do it the same way. Because if you say three times this happens and this is the consequence and another teacher comes and they don't do that, well, then next time if you come back, they're going to be like, oh, you know, your rule isn't real because they saw something different happening. So as much as there could be uniformity between you and the other teachers that work with the same students, I think that's really uh, important. But it, it is really a tough, a tough place. And I've talked for a bit. I want to hear any thoughts you've had of things that I've been mentioning or things we haven't talked about yet. Well, actually, this thing that you said, uh, to have more resources, I think it's a very good idea. They have started uh, with two classes. That's why we are two in the class. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, the fifth grade uh, don't, uh, doesn't have any chance to have two. They ha they are only uh, they have only one teacher, mm. uh, and both uh, there are two fifth grade, and both have special kids. And it's uh, it, it's now it's a kind of uh, talk and conversation about these kids in the in the school and fifth grade. Uh, but um, because I uh, for me. Those students who are sitting in the fifth grade are very, very, very different from those who are sitting in the third grade because third grade is still a child. I don't want the child to feel so much pressure. Mm -hmm. And I and something is very, very strange here is that these kids, nine-year-old kids, have final exam in English and um, no, no, sorry, in 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 the Swedish language and uh, mm -hmm. mathematics final exam which is very very stressful for them and they're only nine years old and on the other hand 
the school wants to be very um, modern, so they don't have so much uh, homework to do, which is very good. Uh, so it's like kind of a paradox for them. Yeah. For them, uh, okay, if I need to have a final exam, I need to study, but uh, we should not study at home <laughs> so much. So what is this final exam? So yeah. school board uh, has a lot of problems, I think, with these kind of um, planning. But it is what it is. Uh, we just try to take it easy on nine years old. But those who are sitting, or who are twelve years old. I think they have to sit and study because uh, they are not like small kids anymore, young kids anymore. Well, I agree. I but mean, of I course, that... yeah, developmentally, oh. you know, they can handle different things. I still think, you know, like yeah, I, I don't like hearing, you know, that they have these final exams for these eight, nine-year-olds with all the stress and pressure. As I was saying, one of the things that they find is helpful in Finland is that they don't do testing and they don't have lots of grades and they they that's one of the be- the good things about their system there um and i get it yeah with the the 10 11 12 year olds as they get older they can do more i still think the way we approach education with so much pressure and stress thinking that's the way to help them learn i don't agree with it doesn't mean they shouldn't have responsibility and we should just take it easy on them and never push them but putting so much pressure on grades, I even remember myself just being so obsessed with grades, even through college and realizing how much I overstressed and overemphasized that and that it was not necessary, that it didn't actually contribute to my learning in some ways. It even made me feel more stressed about it than I didn't learn it probably as well as I would have with less stress. So the emphasis on grades and tests, I think, is not good. It doesn't mean do away with them altogether, which is what some people are doing is going that it's never, you know, there's no standards at all. That's probably not, that's not going to be good. Um, but finding some some balance. Now, look, we're at a commercial break. I want us to at least get a few more minutes to talk uh, about some ideas. As, I, as you're seeing, I'm not giving you any clear sense of if you do this, it's going to be easy. I don't think there's any easy way through this. But I want to give us a few minutes to talk after the break, okay? Okay. Okay. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to them now. Caller, are you still there? Uh, yes. Okay. By the way, I'm yes. realizing if you're in Sweden, is it 3 a.m. there or, or 2 a.m.? 2 a.m. Well, actually, uh, <laughs> I have been home uh, the whole okay. week because uh, I had a cold. And then, to be honest, I was also a little bit bent out. So ah. I just uh, got it as an excuse. Okay. That... Uh, I don't want to spread the virus, and but I, I really needed yeah. to have a little bit distance. Yeah, from yeah. and I, I wasn't trying and to be your teacher and tell you you're up too late or tell you you have to go to bed, but I, I, I just realized okay, on the, during the break, I was like, wait, it's about, it's pretty late there. Okay. Um, but yeah, you know, you're saying that burned out feeling. It seems like it's been overwhelming dealing with um, the classroom the way with the way it's been. And as I said, I wish I had some solution for you that if you you do this or do that, you know, it's going to be better. It seems like you're, you know, doing things like trying to encourage the students that are paying attention, trying, you know, we always try to ignore the bad behavior. It's tough because if it's really disruptive. We can't ignore it. Just like if a kid is going to go hit another kid, we can't ignore that bad behavior. We have to protect the child. So it's tough because we can't ignore some things when they're actually very disruptive. Um, how we respond can be important not to try to give them, they might be looking for a reaction unless really they're having a hard time controlling themselves, but how we respond can be important, but it's it's, it's just tough. There's a very 
uh, it's very difficult if you have a child who's having a hard time regulating themselves for you to, to regulate them. You know, we can encourage kids to do things, even do it with the whole class, not just those kids. So we're not sing singling them out. You know, um, types of meditation or breathing can help calm down uh, anyone a bit. But again, this is not a, a solution that then makes it so no child will will do that. There are some schools in the United States that instead of punishing children, they actually let them go to a room where they can relax and, you know, breathe and calm down because they recognize that usually if a child is acting out, it means they're overstimulated or dysregulated and they need to, they're going to benefit more from calming down and having that experience than being punished. But those are just, those are more systematic things. Maybe you can't obviously employ, uh, implement all of those types of things. Yes, but it's a, it's a good thing actually to suggest them if they listen <laughs> to <laughs> go and sit there in the little room and uh, this is this is very good actually. But uh, dealing with kids is just one part of this job. Hmm. When the kids go home, then we need to put everything in the system, digitalizing everything, and then comes uh, parents. Being in, con in contact with them, and then uh, there are not uh, exactly like uh, in Iran. We had books for every year. For example, mathematics books, grade one; mathematics books, grade two. Mm -hmm. But here is not like that. It, it, the main planning comes from the school board, and then it's the teacher uh, who is uh, uh, deciding uh, which book I want to choose, and. It's like some pages from this book, some pages from that book. So we mm. need to spend time on this also to uh, prepare the material for the next day, for the lessons. Mm -hmm. And this is also one part. And then it comes all the meetings that uh, uh, we need to stay and uh, extra. And then uh, we have meetings, uh, different kind of meetings with principals, with other teachers. So it's very uh, exhausting. Yeah. It's not only teachers, the kids. So, uh, and sometimes I really wanted to say to principals, what is the benefit of all these meetings? Yes, it's super good. Everyone is in contact, but some of them are, I think they are not so necessary, but they do it. They love mm -hmm. to have a lot of meetings here. Well, um, I mean, it's also here in the United States, we're known for that too, of having you know, not just for when you're talking about school, but in workplaces, you know, there's a way that when we have meetings, it makes us feel like we're being productive, like we're doing something. But, um, you know, there's kind of a, a joke in the U.S. like this meeting could have been an email, like maybe we just needed someone to give one piece of information, but we didn't to take an hour of everyone's time to come sit in and talk about it. Uh, but so it's very common. We have this feeling and there's even research that's done on looking at meetings and the the amount of meetings that workplaces have and then cutting those down and seeing that it's usually very beneficial that most types of workplaces have more meetings than they need and you know cutting down on them would be beneficial you don't have that power to just cut down those meetings of course i i don't think you know it's um, a bad idea if you talk to your colleagues and they also have the same feeling about these things to share it with the administrators i don't know if it makes any difference or if they care what you would say i hope they would but it, it could be worth saying because um you know, your experience as teachers, you know what it's like to be the teacher and how much time it takes and then how much mental and emotional energy you then have when it comes time to be with the students. Because what you're describing is that if you're already overwhelmed with everything else, 
and it's already challenging to um, manage the class, well, now you're going to come into the class with even less psychological resources to be, you know, to handle that. So a, a difficult thing will become even harder. You know, you're already feeling tired or stressed or feeling like you don't have enough time to do everything. And now a kid is acting out, you're going to likely react even more strongly than if you were at least more calm, you know? So, um, as I said, uh, you know, the students, it's, it's, they can easily become the scapegoat. If this kid would just listen, everything would be okay. But I think what you're describing is that the system is a problem and that's probably the bigger issue than just these kids that are, you know, acting out or whatever they're doing. doesn't again solve the situation, but at times it can make it so hopefully we don't get too upset with those students as frustrating as it is not to minimize what you're going through, but that, you know, it could be unfair to them too, that sometimes they're, they're just trying their best, you know, but the system is, is a, is a problem more than those kids themselves. Exactly. You know, exactly. even, uh, I, I miss the students because I haven't been there for hmm. one week. Yeah. I miss them. Uh, <laughs> they are, they're very cute. Yeah. Yes, the system has a problem, I guess. So I'm not wondering why many teachers are sick. And uh, and here, uh, if you are sick from work, then maybe for one year you can be home and got 85% of your salary and just yeah. be sick and home. So uh, that, We don't have that here. Yeah, U.S., you know, the, the teachers, even you hear stories of them using their own money to buy supplies for their students and for their classes and... Um, we definitely don't get those kinds of sick days, which is not good. But yeah, what you're describing is that the system there, though at least people get that cushion, but they're so overworked that they're they're taking that, which is why you're, uh, you know, being a substitute teacher for several months for the same class, because you think that so many of the teachers are burnt out and just can't take it. And that yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because that's no one is winning there. The the teachers definitely not, but also the students are not getting the best, which is why, I, I mean, I know it's easy for me to say, oh, go tell the administrators, but I hope you would tell them in a genuine way, not in I a, will, actually. yeah. I will, because we have a lot of meetings there, so I can just say it. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I think it's a little bit, maybe they think it's rude or unprofessional, I, I don't know, or maybe they just think, okay, she's a foreigner and she wants to discipline us or whatever. But yeah. I, will, I will say it. I hope you do, and yeah, I don't know exactly the Swedish culture and the in the school and what it's going to sound like I would say it could be important you know your your feeling and what you're talking about is completely legitimate from what you're describing how we describe it though is going to be very important or how we share that because you know sometimes someone is right but the way they express it might not be the best way and now they look like the bad person you know that they're the ones that gets blamed so I think it's very important to be yeah think of how you can discuss it bring it up in a more construct has as constructive as possible so not just in a let's say what sounds like a just a complaint like this is bad or this is wrong you can mention mm-hmm. what you think is wrong but even why you think it could be helpful if something you know for example yes if we had a few less meetings a week that i think we could still get the information across or shared that's necessary without them then you know, we would be able to be more, even more available for the students or or whatever it is. And, and also talking with your colleagues so you can share it as like, we have this shared experience. It's not just, I'm the only one that doesn't like this. And usually what happens is even if you don't talk to them and if you say you have this issue, maybe they don't say anything, but they're probably like, oh good. Thankfully someone's saying something because they're also experiencing. But if you chat with them and it's not like you're trying to do like a 
revolution in that you're trying to take over things, but it could be good to have a, a constructive conversation about this. I know changing systems is very hard and, you know, lots of people have unfortunately been in your situation and tried and felt that nothing happened. I, I would just, you know, wouldn't want you to face a negative consequence for it, but I hope you do get to voice your opinion from what you're describing is that the system is broken. It's not working and it's hurting the teachers and the students. Exactly. Thanks for your help. Well, I don't know it's if I did, but I appreciate you calling. And uh, also you kind of, you educated me. I mean, of course you're a teacher, but you educated me on some things in Sweden and the, the education system there. Unfortunately, some of the problems overlap with what I see here in the United States, um, but it, it was helpful for me to learn from you. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. Thank sure. you. Take care. Have a nice day. You too. All right, let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Farid. Do you have my sound okay? Yes, we hear you quite clear. Thanks for calling. Sure, thank you. Uh, I'm calling about this pattern of behavior I noticed in myself as I was working through the book Artist Way. It's the book that Dr. Benjian uh, had us read in her um, noon program okay. and reflect on. You know, actually, I read that book. Um, I didn't do it on the show, but I read the book, I think it was two years ago with a group of friends. We kind of did a book club every week. We would meet and go over a chapter of that book. So I am familiar with... Um, uh, the Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And I actually didn't know that Dr. Benchon was doing that book on her show. Might have to talk to her about that. That's cool. So let me know, what did you what did you notice about yourself? Yes, I had that book for like about 10 years. I never read it mm-hmm. because I, I'm artistic myself. And I never wanted someone to tell me what the art is so that <laughs> it blocks my creativity. Uh-huh. Um, Kind of being stubborn, but I I started because uh, I really admire Dr. Benchian. I started working through it, and I'm in chapter seven, so I'm not far. They finished the book, but mm-hmm. I still have a long way to That's go. That's great. So what what I noticed is that I never noticed this in myself about how I communicate or interact with others, but I noticed that I have this way of um like talking nonsense you said talking <laughs> nonsense wanting to and i have three examples i can explain sure just just so i can be clear did you say talking nonsense yeah okay like, <laughs> that's a that's interesting one let's hear let's hear why and, and actually let me ask you how did you how did the book help you discover that oh it's amazing because first of all I do paint and do a lot of crafts, and I'm an engineer and mathematics mathematician by training, mm-hmm. but I, I loved art from early age, music, but um, my dad, like, I'm very old, actually, but when we were kids, they didn't let us do it, and mm-hmm. it's almost you carry this guilt feeling of doing it when you do it, but I really um, try to overcome that, and I just paint like crazy. I never shared them. Now, the thing is that the way I discovered that is that um, as I was writing the morning um, pages. Morning pages, yeah. So let me see. I'm, so the morning pages, um, just quickly, I'll, the, in that book, she 
encourages people to do what she calls morning pages, which is every morning to do, I think it was like three pages in a notebook, handwritten, and you just, it's the first thing you do when you start your day and just write whatever comes to your mind, unfiltered, don't worry about spelling, punctuation, how it sounds, you know, and it's private, so, you know, don't worry about if someone reads it or any of those things, and you just let out whatever's there, kind of in a way of like getting it out of your system, um, you know, and you also might notice patterns and things, which it seems like you might have done. But yeah, that that was something in that book, and I did try that for a while. I think journaling, there isn't one way that journaling is helpful. Some people like it at nighttime, some people like it in the daytime, some people like a prompt that guides them, but journaling can be a great way to self-reflect and understand ourselves better because we, yeah, like you did, you might notice certain patterns that keep coming up, especially if you go back and read them, you sometimes realize, oh, I can't believe I was thinking or seeing it that way. And it felt very real then. Now, when I see that, I don't see it that way. And it can give us some insights into ourself. You also shared this guilt feeling about being an artist. Could that be related to not showing your paintings or we can look at that as well if you'd like. But first, uh, yeah, go back. I just wanted to add that uh, in case anyone not familiar with what the morning pages are. Sure, I really appreciate your insight. So for me, I have, I, I relate to what you just um, um, very precisely explained, which is it's not just one way, but this book um, suggests I believe that there is one way we've got to write them down. But for me, I like to just, when I get up, I have developed this routine over years that just to keep my own artist way, I just going before this book um, to work with those guilt feelings and like what comes out for me from childhood. Uh, I have developed this, this, routine myself. I have this notebook and I go all around the house and I have places where I stop and do certain things without even doing anything else. Like I have a place where I go and knit a little bit <laughs> hmm. before doing anything else. I do that. And so I had this conflict of interest in my brain where now if he wants she will, or the author wants me to write this before doing anything else. So I was really procrastinating but I and I couldn't find the right balance do I do my own routine or do I do this routine so I was resenting it a lot then I found this this um, compromise where there is I made this place they say in the book make this dream corner mm -hmm. so I actually added to that to my stops <laughs> my okay. own routine and I said when you and it's kind of in the middle of my routine when you get there you got to sit down and write your three pages and I and that was the first discovery I had with my own way of being which um, sometimes it's too stuck on routine mm -hmm. um, but uh, what happened is um, how I found this pattern that I would like to share and get your insights on sure. is that um, as I was writing, I had this real hard feeling about something that happened and I just right away went to the pages, although it was not in the morning and I started writing because I didn't know what else to do with it. It was such a realization. It's almost like waking up from something 
and that's so I think it's it has to do with writing these pages and reading the book, I believe, because I never knew I, I do this. Hmm. Yeah, and if we um, begin to pay attention to anything, it becomes more it comes more to our mind. So just writing the morning pages can make us more self-reflective throughout the day and doesn't mean yeah, don't do it later in the day if something hits you. Going back just because you there was a pause there about the routines and you know, this is something that I, on the show I'll sometimes give general types of advice. And I try to be aware of how I present the advice because there's not really any advice that's going to be right for everyone. Because some people, for example, like you're sharing about routines, some people, their days might be too chaotic and they need more order and routine. Some people might feel that they're too rigid in their routine. So the better advice for them is to have more flexibility and to be okay breaking some of that routine. So different people um, can benefit from different advice based on where they are themselves already on a certain characteristic. So it seems like it made you aware that, okay, maybe I'm a bit rigid in this routine that I don't want to even break it a little bit when maybe it can be okay to try something different or try something different, try something new and see actually if it adds to your overall well-being and even the routine or if it, it takes away. But yeah, let's so go back to what you recognized you know, it hit you kind of like an epiphany in the middle of the day, and you wrote about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I started the first example, and you might, I don't know how you will evaluate it. Um, I could look at it myself as, oh, it's so pitiful. Why are you stuck on that? But uh, I really had to stop and get what I was doing. Um, I try to abstract the names and stuff so it's not related to something specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm taking a class, a course, and they have weekly Zoom, and um, the TA was saying something about their work being busy, and I write away um, as if, like, they are my friends, which they are not. <laughs> I was curious, I guess. I asked oh, do you work in ABC field? Because I thought they work in that. Mm-hmm. And um, they, mm, I wrote that in the chat, and they said it out loud to everyone. No, I work in um, XYZ field. And this is the pattern I noticed, and this is what I do, and I present it right away as if I, sh- uh, I should say something. <laughs> I wrote in the chat, um, good for you. I hope it's not the MN company. Like, and then, and then it, I got hit with this. That where did that come from? And and I just noticed what? Like, why did I say that? Say this person is in MN company, and now. Where where should they fit that in? Do you see what I mean? Like, I just yeah. got the absurdity of what I do. Well, and I have more yeah. examples. Sure, but I don't can... know what this behavior is. Okay. Like, it's really it hit me in the face because I saw I do it all where all over the place. Yeah. And when I was younger, or maybe less self-aware or too fond of myself in a way, I thought I'm doing I'm being clever and being witty and 
I don't know what the exact word in English, but in Farsi, Cam I'm doing that, but I'm not doing that. I'm just kind of shooting myself in the foot. Well, yeah, it, you know, and even like you said, it hits you in the face. Now, one thing I'm also feeling is you might be very hard on yourself about like something like that wasn't to me like you did something really bad, but I think it is good for us to be curious so we don't necessarily judge ourselves but the curiosity is good okay yeah why might i do that because you're even recognizing it's not like i really want to say that or wanted to say that but it seems like it just came out now i you know we can talk about the other examples even the one you just shared could it have been because you you were not right in what you said and you know they said oh no it's not that it's this other uh, field or whatever that you felt you needed to show you know something or to show that you're you know, giving some other comment to them because you were just told what you said wasn't right. But let's hear the other ones and then, you know, we can get a better sense of what's going on. I think you already hit the spot um, because as I was writing the pages, I went through this. Why do I do that? Why am mm. I doing this? So the second example is um, this is a very tough class I'm taking. I never worked this hard in all my life. But they have this other forum where uh, you go on and it's a less formal forum than the, the, the standard forum for the mm -hmm. course where you go and ask questions. This is less formal. People talk about anything. So uh, during Thanksgiving stuff, I was posting a lot of stuff, like not a lot, but too much, I think. Uh, and I called it like one time someone told me, oh, the answer to that is here, why do you write? So I said, oh, I thought that's the point of this forum to make connection, to get to know people. Uh, but now I know, here is, this is another example. Now I know what it is about. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's like no, I'm not gonna post anything. But one of the posts that I did, and I did it twice, um, I wrote something uh, in a way of kind of, kind of, engaging and then I made this joke next to it that I hope so and so who is one of the TAs does not see it because I'm supposed to be studying like a little kid <laughs> and I did that twice uh, and then the TA wrote on there well you're an adult you can decide whether you want to study or not and the first time I let it go as you were saying earlier by the second time I made the same comment on another post when when the TA said that, I had to go and write, and I made this up, you know, on the spot, I make things up. I made this up. I said, uh, probably there is a hidden payoff in being afraid of you. Mm. <laughs> and I'm not afraid of him. I basically initially was joking, which there is no place for me to joke like that, but but now, uh, again, I'm trying to be Cam Nayaram. Like, I well, don't know how you say that. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is a way I mean, where, I'm not, but on that one, I feel, I feel both where you're maybe trying to make yourself sound, I don't actually see it as much as trying to make yourself look good. It was almost like you're trying to show the authority that, like, I respect you. You know, so you said afraid, but a way of giving them a type of praise or, you know, um, even the first part of like, oh, I'm not, I'm supposed to be studying kind of gives that I'm, I care about your approval or I want, you know, make sure you like what I'm doing. But even that second part, you know, it does seem like there's something there of 
trying to make sure they they think you see them in a positive way, like overemphasizing it. Yes, and then when uh, when they said you are an adult and you make your own decisions, I'm like, wow, I, you know, it's almost like I got confused about why I said that myself. And you, what you're saying is just it has two sides to it. It looks mm-hmm. like it's a two-faced situation uh, because in an earlier interaction, multiple times when I made a very and a stupid mistake in one of my assignments. Instead of just taking it as, so for example, it says one, I kept reading it at 11. And mm-hmm. I'm not dyslexic or anything, but it's just like my, my brain was zoomed on 11. And mm-hmm. I know matter I read it 100 times, I thought it says 11. So I, I was stuck on an assignment using value 11. And then, uh, Sorry, I got too excited. My voice changed. <laughs> <That's> Apologize. <okay. laughs> and then, and then, um, finally, when this TA said, "Well, make sure you you use one." Again, I made up this story about there is probably something wrong with my vision, and I need to find out why I see eleven. I see one, and I read it as eleven. I just like I'm trying to present myself as having a medical problem, which I know I don't. And then it's just at the same time, I felt like I'm lying. And what am I doing? Yeah. So anyways, I think that's the third, third, third example. Yeah. And yeah. And, and, you know, and something I felt in how you talked about yourself from the beginning that I, I think I commented a bit about it, about the being compassionate and curious rather than judging yourself. But you're very hard on yourself in these things. So if you make a mistake, it's like you have to give a justification or explanation or even if it's half joking, half serious, but something to to justify it. Even going back to that first one, it wasn't that you made a mistake, but you asked if it was this field and they said, no, it's this field. And you felt like you had to show something. So there's it does feel like there's a sense of compensating for what feels like a mistake or an error. Um but this over you know or, or perfectionism that is probably related to that where that if you find yourself uh, wrong or you could be wrong there's this pressure because even the way you describe it like you almost say something before you think it through it seems like there's this pressure immediately to you know give a justification to protect yourself or do something to make things right but i feel this strong uh, desire to to not be wrong and to make sure the other person is okay with how you feel. Now it might be so unrelated, but you talked about this guilty feeling about art, and so there could be some connection there. The sense of being good versus being bad and making sure you do the right thing. Um, you know, we're at a commercial break. It's going to be our last commercial break, going into the last segment. But because we we just kind of opened some of those things up, I'm sure you'll reflect a bit over the break. I will too. But then when we come back, we'll talk a bit more about. What might be going on? What you feel like you're understanding about yourself, where it's coming from? And I do want us to try to keep this mindset of we're trying to understand it, not judge it, because that's going to help us. First of all, just see you in a positive light, as I hope you will see yourself, but also to understand it, to see what you can do from it, rather than just saying it's even the way you said it, it's nonsense to me. It's not just any kind of nonsense. It's very specific that what you're saying is coming from somewhere. So let's talk after the break. okay? Okay, great. Thank you. Sure. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're with a caller. Let's go back to them now. Caller, are you still there? 
Yes, doctor. Okay. okay. So, um, yeah, you know, you shared about your experience. We have this is, as I mentioned, we have about uh, twelve minutes or so. Just giving you a heads up on that. Um, you know, you started off saying nonsense. But I definitely wanted to know specifically, there's lots of types of nonsense, but it, I don't hear it as nonsense. It does seem like there's this um, this experience with, especially in, in, the, in this context of the class, an authority figure. And it actually made me think during the break, there could be some kind of a mixed feeling towards authority figure, like this really wanting uh, approval. I mean, we all have that to a degree, but really wanting the approval, but then also an anger there too. And this kind of ambivalence or mixed feeling. That's what something that I, I felt during the break as I was reflecting on our conversation. And I wanted to just share that with you and see how does that sound or what comes up for you when I even say that and then let me know your own thoughts. Uh, I relate to that. I think that's how I've been um, because at school and in the house uh, when we were younger, we had to justify everything mm-hmm. and uh, being grown up in a very hierarchical family, there was that um, authority figure and being the youngest child, I mean, I was the one who had no authority over anything. So I I managed to um, carry through and this um, um, way of being ambivalent about it uh, certainly resonates with me. In fact, before calling you, I tried to name this. Mm-hmm. Um, just saying, oh, I'm passive-aggressive, I'm too childish, I'm too insecure. And then I just said to myself, stop it. <laughs> just call Dr. Fahitolakui, <laughs> explain it, just give exact, um, clear examples. And then... Um, just listening to find out how to understand it and what to do about it exactly. Mm-hmm. As if like you read my words when you said that before going on the break. So I'm all ears, doctor. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy to hear that. I'm glad it's been, you know, it feels like what I said resonated. But, you know, it's interesting even hearing you talk to me. There's a sense of, um, okay, you're going to call this authority, if I can call myself that just in this context. And they're going to give me the answer, which I understand. That's why people call. They are hoping to get some type of an answer. But I I feel like even how you described, understandably, feeling that you didn't have power in those hierarchical setups that you had at school, but also at home, that you probably had to learn how to play the role of making sure the authority felt good about you or, you know, you were in a favorable light for them. And because of that, you could be even hard on yourself to make sure you don't make mistakes because if you get it wrong they might not like that and sometimes i mean all hierarchical systems but especially in iran it's it's very much uh, don't make any mistakes and you know you get punished for any mistake feeling so you might have internalized that sense uh, of you know being hard on yourself because as i said even I, I said nonsense and i almost wish i didn't say it because i don't think you know what you described was nonsense at all it's a type of a reaction even there's some anxiety there something is is happening it's not just that you're saying a lie or you're just making something up you're surprised yourself because you're realizing what did i even mean by that or why did i even say that but it could be important to look at why you know as i said the curious why rather than a judgmental why to understand it because i feel this some anxiety there that you know we can understand as you're reflecting more on your 
childhood experience with authority? Yes, I, as you were talking, I had all these flashbacks <laughs> from childhood, and I have um, worked through some of those in therapy, uh, but this is how I am. It's just I have not realized it in this light before. Mm. Um, so I really would like to... Um, um, follow in this, uh, I guess, um, way of going about it, and uh, maybe figure out—not figure out, but listen in and in what to do about it or hmm. how to carry on. Well, actually, you know, you said figure out, and I, I think that is part of it. And even listening, you know, with the time we have together, we'll be happy to, to continue the, the conversation. But really listening into yourself, which is something you've been doing with the morning pages and being even more reflective, is seeing what's going on within yourself, you know, because the answers are going to be primarily within you of what's going on and what you're doing and what's happening. And as you're saying, reflecting on these memories, these experiences, what might be contributing to this feeling that you're having in these moments, even the way you described it of saying something like, oh, you know, the hopefully the teacher's not reading this, knowing that the TA is reading it and will see it. Um, but there's something definitely there. You're sending a message. And yeah, could we say it's passive aggressive? Maybe. I mean, I don't know if it was necessarily aggressive, but there was a way of trying to send a message, you know, saying, I'm not saying it, but also saying it, you know, there was something there of like a play. And of course, we don't want to, you know, I definitely overanalyze. That's kind of part of my job, but I can overdo it. So I don't necessarily overanalyze it and say, oh, you know, any joke had to have meant so much, but it did feel like there was something there of um, I'm being bad, but I want the teacher to know I don't want to be bad or I'm trying to be good. You know, it seems like there was something to the joke that does have some meaning for you as we're, you know, exploring this and expanding it a bit more. Yes, it's uh, like a hidden uh, or a cowardly way of... Sorry, I said I'm not going to judge it, but... <laughs> yeah, that's, that, I'm glad you caught yourself that time. But yeah, the, it is very easy for you to, to use a negative word about yourself. Like, it's an indirect way of communicating yeah. uh, without communicating. Um, and then so what we can look at there is if we're doing it indirect, that could mean there's some kind of anxiety or fear of being direct but even like you know we could try to think well what was i trying to say if we looked at it and you know even in this case you can look at this one but in general that's what i'd want you to do if you notice yourself and you probably will catch yourself more and hopefully without judging yourself each time you, you do catch yourself if you notice these things to try to think okay what was i afraid of by if i was going to be direct and what did i want to say if i could have just said it directly i see so ask myself what was I afraid of? Um, um, and what would I have said if I could say it directly? Yeah. And so those limitations are what I place myself. Like, um, even in communication with you now, as you said it exactly, it's almost like it's not my place to say, like, what it is. I'm right like yeah it's almost like having this background story of it's not my place it's not my place to say this or do that so replace that with these two questions right yeah or you know when if you can and, and you know as you said like i think you're the one who's the expert on you you're the one that's going to teach yourself even more about you sometimes talking to other people gives us some perspective or insight but eventually you're going to be the one that will um 
have the interior knowledge of what's going on with you. But yeah, that's just a thought of this kind of, okay, what was I afraid of? And, you, and, you know, by afraid, sometimes it can sound dramatic, but it could be like disapproval or looking a certain way. There, there's probably something there. And then trying to understand what did I want to say if I was going to say it as directly. And then practicing that more and more, you know, trying to say it in the more direct way. And usually, you know, what I said, what we're afraid of, I even had an experience this week where there was something that I was going to tell someone and I thought they wouldn't want to hear it. And I recognized that I was hesitating to tell them. And I was, I delayed it a little bit and then I did tell them and they didn't even react negatively at all. And it was a reminder of how much we can make these assumptions in our head of how the person's going to react and it's going to be bad. And even if it is, we want to face it, but, and it wasn't even the case that it was bad, but even if it was, I wish I would have said it sooner. So just a reminder of that. But if we go a little deeper, we can say, okay, yeah, I was afraid of their possibly reaction or their judgment of me, which could be the way you might already judge yourself or, or see yourself or be afraid to see yourself. So yeah, I think that could be important and it's good. You're doing this more reflective, um, uh, you know, perspective on yourself by doing the morning pages and it's putting you in that, that state of reflecting further, but really, you know, and it's tough because that judgmental part, I don't want you to judge yourself for judging yourself because it might still be there where you're going to still, you know, maybe use a negative word about yourself. I, I would want you to move towards the self-compassion, but I know that's not a, like a light switch that all of a sudden you could go there and even understanding where that's coming from. You know, that's probably related to what we're talking about being so hard on yourself or it, it being easy for you to be so hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. So in the case of this forum, I think um, um, I was probably concerned that in a way they are judging me, like, right? Yeah. Although I know Americans aren't like that, but <laughs> definitely back home, people would judge you right and left. Like she's supposed to be studying. Why is she posting things 24-7? I'm exaggerating, but I was, I was. Yeah. As if, like, you know, it's it's an indirect uh, communication style that you don't see among Americans. But I think I was afraid of the TA judging me. Yeah, it does seem like, the, you know, you specifically, you know, did that, oh, with, I hope they don't see knowing they see, but trying to possibly put it in a favorable light or even in a way maybe get a reassurance from them that, oh, it's okay or something that, you know, that you you said that. And but maybe you were having that judgment yourself already of, am I posting too much? Is this bad? And as that person said, I mean, you know, you could post a lot, but still be having enough time to study. It doesn't take like, even though it's a rigorous class, there's probably still enough time to do both. But it seems like you were having your own mixed feelings. Another thing is what made you want to post so much? Um, the way you're describing it, obviously it wasn't 24-7, literally, but if there was a lot of posting, that's another part. Was I, were you trying to get some kind of, attention, connection, something, and maybe it wasn't even too much. You felt like it was too much, but it was fine. Even that could be something to reflect on. Was there something there? So you had this mixed feeling of, I want to post, I want to do this thing, but then also I don't want to be seen as bad. So let me, you know, say this comment. So it shows that I'm not being bad or I'm recognizing this could be bad or whatever it is to, to lessen the blow of that side of it, you know? So it seems like you also, another ambivalence there was wanting to post, but feeling like maybe I'm posting too much. And, and and not sure how to deal with that discrepancy. Yes, I um, I do. I I remember feeling that because I don't like social media. I'm not on any. This is a class forum, so I 
I did polls, questions, or answered, or just commented, and um, uh, I judged it myself as too much because I hardly ever do these. But I felt safe, and I wanted to connect, like create connections. But uh, the other, the flip side of it is that I experienced that then I withdraw because mm. I feel I. I do that too much or being too um, outgoing when I'm not outgoing. Does that make sense? Well, it does. I mean, it, it kind of does. It's, it's more complex. And I'm looking at the time we do have to wrap up. And, you know, yeah. as I'm having this conversation with you, I'm reminded of how much I enjoy, you know, being with someone as they self-reflect and, and doing it myself because we are so complex and there are so many layers to us and there's always more to try to understand, but the first step is mm -hmm. wanting to understand and going inward. And I'm glad you're doing that. And I, I do want you to continue to reflect on this, these types of themes of what's even going on there of possibly wanting connection, but you know, this way of, am I outgoing or not? Or what does that even mean? And what that might bring up for you. So there's so many things that you brought up that are really important. We do have to stop our conversation, but your own inner conversation, uh, you know, I'm sure will continue and I hope it will. Uh, but I appreciate you calling and also being open to sharing some of those things, hopefully encouraging all of us to be more reflective ourselves and to be open to learning more about ourselves. So thank you for your call and wish you all the best. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you for your time and all the insights you gave me today. Thank My you pleasure. Nice much. talking to you. Have a great day. Take care. You too. Bye. All right. That brings us to the end of today's show. Big thank you to Farhuda here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Farid Alakwi. Zan Zendegi Azadi. Mm -hmm.